I think you'll be spending a Saturday afternoon in uh, on some of the swankier shopping streets in New York City. Strolling <laughs> <laughs> down Fifth Avenue, fully bedecked. Yeah. Like a pretty woman where she comes out with all the bags. <laughs> That is the first time I've ever been compared to Julia Roberts. I just want to I just want to go on record. That has never <laughs> happened before. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Human Element Cares podcast on modern marketing. I am super excited to have two of our very own Sean Healy, one of my dear friends in the business, who's the Chief Strategy Officer at Cara, and Lucy Barber, who is a Global Strategy Partner here as well. Both first-timers, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. What I want to do today, you know, we've obviously been doing this series on the virus, and we've done, I don't know, seven or eight of these. And what I wanted to try to do today is start talking a little bit about uh, how we're discussing with clients, you know, how they think about when things begin to ease. Now, this is my upfront comment. Obviously, we are still deeply involved in a very significant global crisis, the, the human toll of which is unfathomable. I say this sitting outside of New York City, you know, both in New Jersey and New York, the mortality rates here are stark. So I, I want to make sure that we're not minimizing that. But from a professional perspective, it really is not too early to start thinking about, you know, what we should do or what we should recommend to clients when we do sort of get back to and easing of restrictions. So we're going to attempt to talk about that today. But before we dive into that, you know, I know you guys have been fielding client engagements and client calls and all kinds of stuff like that. I just thought I'd ask, what's what's sort of been the most difficult question that you guys have gotten uh, inbound through this crisis? Sean, why don't we start with you? Well, look, I think all of the questions have been quite difficult because we're in kind of black swan territory. And there are lots of answers that have been, you know, hard to hard to fathom. And, you know, We've been able to give some quite sort of standard answers like, you know, if you keep investing through a downturn, the evidence is that you'll kind of come out of it stronger than your opponents that didn't do. I know Lucy's been doing loads and loads of really detailed work on on kind of COVID response, and she's been asked lots of really difficult questions. They're all tricky. I think a different way to look at it is how interesting the range of questions are that we've been that we've been asked. You know, so you know, from supporting, I've been involved with, in conversations with a client in Eastern Europe who's building out a portal to provide everybody, customer or non-customer, access to all of the great stuff that they can do. They're in a, they're in a service category uh, to alleviate the conditions that people are suffering during confinement, you know, like lessons for school kids in a kind of digital box for kind of parents to deliver at home. They've been asking us mm. questions about how do they promote this in the best possible way. So it's you know, really fascinating questions. I also think it's really interesting that we've been asked lots of questions about how to respond creatively. And some of our clients, and I don't mean to sound kind of triumphalist in this way, some of our clients have been saying, we don't think that our creative agencies kind of get how to bring more kind of call to action and more sell into the messaging when we know our shelves gone from supermarket to, to online. And so actually, I think some of the, some of the trickiest things we've been asked is can you turn around some new guidelines for my creative agencies in 24 hours to help them reshape the way that the messaging's framed so fortunately within the group we've got lots of brain boxes who are dco specialists performance marketing specialists etc so i think we've been able to be quite nimble in kind of coming back with some some good advice for creativity 
Uh, so that's my take. Over to my compadre, who I'm sure has got thoughts. <laughs> you know, we've gone 70 pods and nobody has used the word compadre. So well done, Sean. You got that in early. Yeah, I think Sean's, Sean's right. It's not just the volume of questions that we've been asked. It's the speed at which we've been asked to respond to those questions. I think a lot of our initial mm. response was about trying to manage knee-jerk reactions and also helping the clients do the pivot from not just doing what's best for their business, but actually just do what's best for society, because ultimately that will be best for their business in the current climate. And it was really interesting because it chimes beautifully with what's at the heart of our planning process, designing for people, which looks at you know, value exchange between the brand and the consumer, but also our people and the client's people, so the workforce at heart, and trying to get ourselves collectively as a group into the mindset of how can we help society without kind of destroying ourselves and the working relationships that we've built up, given this completely mm. different climate, and responding at speed, but in a way that doesn't feel knee-jerk. So, you know, finding research that supports what our hypotheses are, but also accepting that because this is the first time in a generation anything like this has happened, there is no real research that will tell us the finite answer. So, you know, Sean touched upon continuing to advertise in a downturn, that being critical. You know, we've tried with clients where it makes sense to say, you know, keep spending, but just make sure you're thinking, if you were the end consumer and here is all the other tools and data and research we can supply you that will help you look at that globally. You can get to a point where what you're doing is functional and useful, but also the right thing to be doing. And the most difficult question we're being asked now is, what does the future look like? And I mean, there are factors that we can consider around, you know, the inevitability of a recession, initial bumps on the high street once lockdowns are lifted, but like very likely sort of second, potentially third lockdowns in, in the vaccine vacuum that we seem to have at the moment. Yep. Um, and people's budgets being strained because of the you know economic downturn and, and spiking unemployment. So it's important that we just instead about what do our consumers want and what are they feeling and how can we plan for need states of relief? How can we plan for need states of people going crazy and heading them after they've been yeah. stuck at home for such a long time? How can we think about that as a release mindset, etc.? So that's where we're trying to take the clients is to say, we don't know what timelines look like, but we can certainly think about what would people want from you at this stage. Yeah. One of the things that it triggers in my mind, and, and this is something that I feel like I've been sort of rolling around in my head, you know, for the past month and change. And it is, you know, a lot of times we talk to our clients and brands about, you know, things like leadership. We, we throw that word around a lot. And I think it oftentimes we use it, you know, in the past to mean things like market share or, you know, top of the share of voice or like we, we use it to refer to those very sort of not really character driven elements of leadership. But what's so apparent to me that I think is also translatable to brands is, you know, how important humanity and empathy and even love are in terms of leadership characteristics in this moment and for brands to sort of display those things because there's such a pent-up um, hungering for those things among, you know, all the folks around the world who are, you know, isolated and separated and, and not connected. Sean, let me ask you, you know, do you sort of share that belief and how have you been talking to clients about that idea of leadership and these sort of more, you know, human characteristics like, you know, empathy and humanity. How have you been having those conversations? What we're saying to clients is that 
some traits in marketing or some some needs and imperatives for future success in brand building, which are having a, a more empathetic, a higher level of EQ in the way that you communicate and the way that you develop propositions and behave. Thinking about how much value you're creating, not just for your business, but for for the people that you're building a relationship with. All of those things that we think were important before this crisis, we think are going to be amplified. The advice we're giving is, you know, you will be how you were during the crisis. And I think that people have been quite ruthless, haven't they, in viewing the way that brands have shown up. You know, there was a really early example that was became quite famous in the UK because it featured two hoteliers who are, you know, very well known to people here. One, uh, an ex-footballer, Gary Neville. One of your heroes, Robert. I love Gary. Gary Neville is a red, Sean. <laughs> Indeed. And the other, Richard <laughs> Branson. And, you know, to cut a long story short, I think we knew that some big stuff was happening to brands in marketing quite early in the COVID crisis when Twitter was aflame. I think it may have been on the 19th of March here because Branson had come out and said, you know what, we're, we're kind of furloughing our hotel staff. We're going to close our hotels. I remember that. And Gary Neville, who was never my favorite person as a, as a Leeds United supporter, but suddenly became my favorite hotelier, when he came up very publicly said and said, you know what, no one's going to lose a penny who works for us and we're going to open up our hotels to health service staff from the city of Manchester where wonderful hotels with a premium price attached to those rooms are located. And I think for me that set the tone. It's entirely legitimate for businesses to seek to, uh, you know, to survive and to make sure that business as usual is, is robust. You know, why wouldn't they? If you don't survive, you can't do good. But at the same time, I think businesses and brands that will come out of it will have demonstrated leadership through empathy and through doing things that are useful, not just for their customers, but for society as a whole, echoing what Lucy said. I, I think Lucy and I have both been on a, a Dentsu media line of business town hall for our kind of global teams where we had the benefit of our Chinese team presenting to us. It was quite late at night for those guys. And they said the formula for success in China has been show empathy, deliver utility, and be sharp on your e-com. And I think that's a neat way to sum up what would be, I think, decent advice for, you know, for, for many clients right now. Lucy, do you have any sort of comments you want to build on to that idea of leadership through these more you know, humane, human understanding oriented character traits? What I'm excited about, I think Sean's covered it beautifully from a brand perspective. I'm excited about it within our industry and also in the kind of wider global spectrum. You know, when you're looking to the leaders who seem to be performing well, you know, you've got Jacinda down in New Zealand, you know, where you're talking about empathy and people who have acted in the best interests of the public or in our case in our industry those leaders in our business who have acted in the best interest of their workforce you know not necessarily abjectly put their business first but thought about their people as their lifeblood of their business would be pleased to see because you know typical words that we would associate with leaders i think leading up until now would be things like strength and determination not necessarily the words that you set us up with robert like love and empathy and eq these are all qualities that I think we all inherently should know that a good leader should have, but haven't necessarily set at the top of the hierarchy of requirements, perhaps, when thinking about everything from interviews to voting. And I'm really excited about the concept that this might open up some holes in the typical template of what we 
consider a leader to be and set out opportunity for, you know, maybe this is what diversity has been waiting for, you know, actual diversity, not of a specific set, but in terms of what we consider good leaders to require to get us through crises like this. That's such a great answer. I love that, Lucy. Thank you. So, Let's jump into the the sort of day in day out reality of things. Uh, obviously, there has been a ton of data around how customer and consumer behavior has changed and how people are doing things in vastly different ways as a result of the you know these very unprecedented circumstances we all find ourselves in. Sean, I know you are an avid reader. You marinate in all this stuff. Of all the data points that you have seen and consumed over the past 30 days around how behavior has changed, what has really stuck out to you the most? Uh, I've got two. Perfect. One came from Business Insider, and it's on the day that the Hermes store in Guangzhou reopened, which I believe was last Saturday, it sold $2.7 million worth of products. (laughs) Other stat, second, this one came from the New York Times. The week before last, 41% of the Americans buying groceries online were doing so for the first time. I would say that those two stats say that nothing changes and everything changes. And I think <laughs> Lucy was talking about beforehand, that we're in a really kind of fluid situation where We're trying to figure out what the permanent changes might be that we will see indelibly marked on the high street and people's behavior and where humanity, as we know, will kind of revert back to kind of wanting nice stuff. So I thought that those two stats are kind of interesting because they show the unpredictability of trying to predict, you know, how far reaching kind of change will be. And, you know, I guess, you know, to just pick up on the point on leadership traits, we have to hope that the changes which are the best of us are, are the things that we'll see more of and the things that are the worst of we won't. But the reality is I don't think there'll be a linear progression to a utopian situation and people are still going to want to express status and people are still dying to spend their money on stuff. I would have to get pretty far down my list of things I am dying to do when this is over to get to <laughs> go buy an Hermes scarf or belt or whatever. You know, like that would be... It'd be down the list. I was thinking about which stats I like. You know, it's radio's up 15% and I love that because I'm obsessed with radio as being a companion and all these sorts of things. But the thing that really warmed my heart was really early on when the fish came back to Venice. Yeah. <laughs> I think about 10 days of lockdown in Venice. Mm. And the fish came back and the swans came back. And one of the sort of really early memes that came out of the coronavirus was that Climate change needs coronavirus as publicists. Mm. Now, I don't think that we can undermine the impact, the immediate impact that obviously coronavirus is having and the toll that it's having on our lives. But obviously the thing that is a kind of great big card-carrying lefty, environmental, etc. <laughs> I'm super excited about the prospect of all the fundamental changes in our lifestyles, but also on our industry, what we deem to be the right type of messaging. And, uh, you know, as Sean beautifully put it, you know, who you are in the crisis is who you will be after. And what are the things that we can continue to observe, absorb and adapt about not just our working styles, but of the types of messaging that we put out, how responsible we feel about that messaging, what the bottom line requirements are for what good business looks like in the future, and how that will affect everything from 
you know, helping society to rebuild itself, but to rebuild itself in a different, in a different way. Yeah, and in, in a more humane and environmentally conscious way. So this illustrates the difference between me and Sean. Sean has got like hardcore, <laughs> specific, like super interesting socioeconomic stats. My fish have come back. So <laughs> that's what makes the grass duty. Well, I tell you what, that is such an awesome, powerful pairing. So thank you, thank you for that, uh, both of you. What both of you have done and what you do all the time in your job is sort of the beautiful flexibility of taking data and then letting that lead you to a creative outcome, to, to some inspiration or to some sense of insight. You know, this is such a strange scenario. People disconnected, not in rooms, you know, bouncing off each other, drawing on whiteboards, all those kinds of things that you guys have done professionally all of your lives. What do you predict the impact of this sort of cloistered everybody, you know, off on their own quarantined situation will have on creativity and creative collaboration? Well, I think firstly, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot and that we've been asked about a lot by our clients is, you know, which behaviors we'll maintain and how we're working from home, for example, work within that. What I hope that this will dismantle with regards working from home specifically is the concept of presenteeism. We've been able to work from home in the way that we do now for years, and yet we haven't done it because there has been a lack of trust and a lack of functional accountability, but also just this overarching sense of needing to be in the office. And I think what this has proven is that that is both false, but also true. Mm. I am missing people (laughs) because I'm on my own in my house, but also from that creative output perspective and I think being able to see people respond to what energy they're giving off and how they seem to be thinking and what they look like all of the different signals that we take from people when we're in person with them versus what they're saying over a conference call for example is is vital to creating really interesting creativity but is not vital to the everyday hopefully giving people more breathing space and I'm somebody who's very comfortable in large group environments I'm not what anybody I think would describe as an introvert but I certainly am embracing certain aspects of being able to reflect more on the work I'm doing and take more time to consider the creative options outside of the confines of the office space I already have you know in Sean and my other colleagues on my client team a very understanding and flexible working experience already but I hope that that is now going to be extended to more people across the workforce, particularly at the junior end, because it's the junior end where you work the longest hours for the least amount of money typically and feel the kind of most crushing weight of stress and responsibility because you're still learning your craft and being able to give people the opportunity to say, yeah, we need to meet with each other sometimes to get that build of creativity. But actually it's important also that we understand what makes you work best hopefully take away some of the negatives that we've had in terms of working styles in the last few years and dismantle some of the untruths that surround them. Yeah. Sean, anything on on your perspective here on how, you know, creativity and, and creative collaboration will change as a result of this? I mean, I think that the sheer creativity of brewers and luxury garment manufacturers switching their production lines to produce hand sanitizer and personal protective equipment I'm thinking about Brewdog and Burberry in the UK, and there are examples, I'm no doubt, in the US, and necessity is the mother of invention always. Secondly, having done lots of creativity training with brilliant consultancies like What If, 
we're always told don't walk into work the same way every day don't eat the same food change drives creativity we've all gone through a big period of change i guess and i'm seeing lots of you know kind of creativity i've been experiencing it i've worked with people virtually on every continent bar antarctica over the last few weeks and i think i've had really productive interesting discussions lots of ideas generated what i would say though is most of those people i knew face to face beforehand we shouldn't kid ourselves that sitting in the back room of your house or your living room permanently working in that way is inherently more creative or a substitute for face-to-face but I think also Lucy's right the ability to reflect on ideas and give them a little bit more time to brew you know it's been shown to be valuable three things that we've sort of learned really is that you you can connect people to do actually some quite technical ideation and you can organize yourselves to bring people from great distances time zones cultures together in new ways to generate ideas and those models have been built out. And I hope we will see more kind of multi-dimensional thinking coming from our network as a result of that. I think secondly, from a creativity perspective, we've seen lots of very interesting lo-fi advertising that's been put together, I guess, by people working virtually and has hit big screens, small screens for some you know, very big brands. I, you know, I can think of some stuff that was making me chuckle that had been put together by whoever Jack Daniels creative agency is in the U S and they've spliced together lots of footage from the web, run it as an ad, you know, it, it was certainly online video looks like it might've hit TV. I mean, I guess if you're in the production business, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Cause you've, you know, does it mean that lo-fi becomes more acceptable from a creativity perspective? And then I think lastly, and I'm being, very literal about kind of creativity here. I think this will show clients that they need to move away from setting up to making a couple of TV ads to a model where they create a content pool that can allow them to adjust and change tack for eventualities that they may not have foresaw. I read an article in Campaign about six months or so ago, which talked about who are the next generation of the great creatives. And with large-scale production having stalled, and as Sean has said, you know, the embracing of the small and the lo-fi, I have no doubt that this will be a period of explosive creativity, what we'll see coming yes. out of this. If you look at the history of music, any time there has ever been a generationally oppressive or stressful time, music has gone completely in a different direction. I think that we will see the same thing happening in our industry as well. We'll see people collaborating in a way that perhaps they haven't had the permission to in their typical day-to-day and you know, really coming through with hopefully some really industry-changing ideas. I think I'm really impressed about it. Yeah, I think it's a great point. You know, we've been on this pathway to a democratized sense of creativity for a long time, right? That's what social media and technology have done to our space. And we can get in a whole separate discussion about that. But What that means for this moment is that the years and years of building that process of a an opening of creative tools to all people, and now you have sort of the very highest end of creative talent, big production houses and whatnot, big shoots being shut down. It's like the playing field is not just leveled; it is just you know there's only one playing field, and that is what can you do with this you know phone in your pocket. And I think that's a really interesting thing about what comes next in our industry. I think that's a great point, Lucy. And that'll be interesting to see, you know, what comes of that for the networks, you know, the big holding companies, what comes of that for the individual creative networks, and what comes of that for a a sense of entrepreneurialism 
from the advertising marketing community. I think that'll be really interesting to watch. All right. What recommendations, what sort of key thoughts do you both have around preparing for not a post-pandemic world, but a, you know, a gradual loosening of restrictions, a quote unquote opening up of areas of economic space? You know, what specific advice are you giving to clients right now around that process? I would set my mind to the frame that there's going to be a pivot in brand building, what marketing's for. I think we touched on the idea of win-win marketing, value creation, moving to the fore, you know, brands really needing to think hard about what their purpose is. You know, by that I mean, you know, what you're in business to do, how you make life better. It may well be that that's socially impactful. It may be just an, an everyday thing that you do. But I think that level of clarity is going to be really important. And, you know, if as a business you can start to create value for society and people based on that right now, that's a good thing because you're going to need to do more of it going forward. The employer brand is going to be moved from the, the internal to the external, if you like. Businesses and brands are going to be really judged. The way that you've treated your staff, you know, during this kind of period will be indelibly marked on your brand. So I think. That just says, do the right thing, do the best thing that you that you can. Lastly, I think scenario planning, you know, which used to be kind of an intellectual strategy topic du jour of a couple of decades ago. I mean, I just mm-hmm. think that there's some really interesting stuff out there on how to scenario plan. I've read lots of interesting stuff about medium-term thinking. So, you know, you can kind of test and learn, figure out whether things are working kind of right now. And it's quite fun to do blue sky scenario thinking for you know a year down the line but it's much more difficult to think about what's happening two quarters down the line so i think really focusing on that that kind of scenario planning i just think there's going to be a big thing about agility agile thinking there are loads and loads of really interesting models out there you know i've been geeking out as you kind of pointed out uh robert uh in this kind of area I listened to a fascinating webinar yesterday where the presenters were talking about a model called OODA, O-O-D-A, which was developed by the U.S. Air Force in the 1960s, which is a, an agile scenario planning model and assumes as soon as your strategy hits reality, everything changes. Sean's absolutely right about the agility piece and also about doing the right piece for society. It will be very tempting for brands in certain categories to feel once lockdown and social distancing, et cetera, lifts that it's the time to turn the taps back on. That's as good for us, actually, in many ways as it is good for society. But it has to be done in the right way. And continuing to do the right thing for society shouldn't just be something, as Sean has touched on, that happens in a crisis or that you do because you're paying lip service to it. It should be because it is the right thing to do and hopefully our predictions about this is the pivot that we expect to see in the industry will come true. I think the other thing and this is to touch on what Sean was saying about the medium term is I'm always shocked by how little brands ask people what they want. If we look to kind of brands that have outperformed expectations, Pret, Pret did beautifully by covering themselves in glory right early on in the UK by, you know, saying we'll be giving free free meals away and discounts to NHS workers. One of the first brands to come out of the traps on that and did fantastically well as a result in social media. 
but their CEO has a policy of asking people on a regular basis to give him them, him feedback on the brand, and he has then fed back to them. Mm. And I think that asking people at the moment, and therefore getting into this concept that we talked about at the top of the call around mindsets, yeah. is critical. And actually, I know you guys in, in the US are doing some really lovely work using our own panel data yep. to understand what stage of the various particular phases of a lockdown are they mm. at, continuing to into not just social listening but you know qualitative data and having discussions with people and thinking objectively and subjectively at the moment about what is it that you want to see so setting yourselves up certainly to be flexible but to consider what messages do people want to see when they're going out for the first time a mix of potential positivity will they still be feeling afraid what's the risk that we need to mitigate on their behalf and to Sean's point about purpose, what role do we play in society and what value, therefore, can we add? So I think it's really important to just continue to ask people at the moment, not to assume yeah. what is it that you're feeling? What do you want from us? What would be most useful? And then feedback what those actions have been and make sure that that becomes a regular part of a quite iterative marketing process. Because I think certainly what's true is, unless we remarkably get a vaccine in autumn, and even then, yeah. the recession, yeah. and do, is this something which will continue to face us? And crikey, what does this mean for climate change, etc.? We're in a really, really strange space for the next few years. And so getting as close to your customer base, and as I said before, to your workforce as possible, will be essential yeah having a successful business. No, I think that that is, you are spot on with all that, Lucy. All right, two last questions. Take a swing at a sentence or two. Where do you anticipate we'll be in a month, Sean? Oh, wow. I've got to say, having seen the UK news, that I think I'll still be in this room looking out the window. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I think we've still got a way to go. And I know that there are laudable attempts to kind of balance the needs of the health services that are working to deal with this with the needs of the economy you know we're still going to be in a similar position in a month's time I think it's going to take us a little while to move further on but I think the conversations will have changed with clients I think they'll be in the kind of recovery mode rather than coping mode i.e what do we need to do right now I think that that what are we going to do next? Will they come onto the radar a bit more so? I think we'll be looking more closely at what's happening in a month in China. Infection rates are going back up again yeah. very quickly, but it's happening. Yeah. Any excitement that we're feeling on an individual basis about the potential lifting of lockdown, which I am obviously very excited about, will also continue to be um, mitigated by what is happening over there and how severe it is based on them having been released from lockdown and in a month we'll be what five weeks away from them having having had that lifted so what that tells us will tell us a great deal about what our future looks like and that sounds really depressing <laughs> i was i was gonna say we're gonna leave that there fingers crossed <laughs> china will be doing really well and nothing bad will be happening so you know i think in europe looking at what happens in italy and spain where they didn't you know quite have as speedier and complete lockdown as as happened in china initially I think they will be early touchstones to see as they're starting to liberalise the lockdown a bit. And I know in Spain, various sectors have kind of gone back into work. I think it will also be interesting to see what happens in those markets that have obviously been badly affected and had a, a slightly different model. 
I think that's a really good point. Those two markets are are particularly interesting to me because they bear, I think, a real resemblance, at least at the very least, to the region of the United States that I occupy in terms of the intensity and human toll of the situation. And this is not uplifting either, Lucy, so I apologize. But <laughs> the thing that's just I can't get out of my head is there must be mourning. And it's not just all of us separately in our homes. Mourning is a collective thing in a lot of ways right? You know, what does the collective Italian morning, the collective American New Yorker morning look like? And I, and I think that is something that has to become more clear. As long as lockdown continues and as long as waves of, of lockdown and as severe social distancing continue, I think people still need to kind of, at least on a personal level, try and maintain a sense of positivity. So hence yeah. why we're seeing such grandizing in support of health workers because of course they are love them but it also gives people a positive output for the emotion that they're feeling i agree with you completely about the mourning piece and we've been very good about showing collective mourning in in the world you know that from everything from lighting up the eiffel tower in color to wide social media expression but i think at the moment until i know this sounds awful until the toll has been counted i don't think we'll be in a position to really accept that that is something that we need to do, partly because we can't do it in real life for our own relatives in many countries. At the yeah, moment. and I agree with you. I just, of the many, many pieces, that's the piece I can't get out of my head. So last one, and I can't thank you enough. You both have been absolutely fantastic, as I knew you would. When this is over, quote unquote over, or we get to a phase that's a bit more loosened, you know, what are you looking forward to the most? Going out dancing. I don't mean clubbing because I, you know, I'm too old for all that nonsense. But I get to this thing called Morning Rave, which I know you have in New York because I've been to it. I'm in confident we have it in New York. I'm also confident that oh, yeah. they would Jason, turn me away. Jason, the producer, is, is heartily nodding. So I'm sure that he is with me on this. And it's a sort of sober morning rave. I've told Sean about this before and he's rolled his eyes at the concept of anything where you have to dance being sober. But, uh, <laughs> oh, this is dancing been, while sober? Yeah, yeah, it's first thing in the morning, 6 a.m., yeah, you go out, out. To, a ni- to a nightclub. You lost you me at sober. That's when, <laughs> when this became impossible. <laughs> this is the thing. I'm staying on the wagon, so it's uh, it's very nice. It is the most significant outpouring of, like, sort of community and primal yeah. expression of just love and, and uh, hedonism and just excitement and, and, yeah, that with, like shitloads of glitter and bright colored clothing um, <laughs> and a really really expensive brunch after oh all right all right you might have talked me into it glitter glitter and brunch all the millennial stereotypes i'm here right now <laughs> oh perfect sean i don't know how you're going to top that but give it a try well i'm just going to be a man of simple pleasures just before the lockdown i spent saturday evening after attending a football game with some mates with my wife and a big bunch of our pals in our local pub and had a absolutely brilliant night and to be honest i just cannot wait to go to the pub with my mates you know we've created our own virtual pubs we've given them names we're arranging quiz nights we're going to watch a test cricket rerun together oh god <laughs> I thought I thought I took the prize for the most absurd way to kill some time on a Saturday. I watched Rio Grande, which is a 1950s John Wayne black and white flick a couple weeks ago. And my family was like, you have lost it. Yeah. Rewatching Test Cricket together. <laughs> that's that's <right>. something. 
I can't thank you enough. You both are lovely and so generous with your time and your thinking. And I knew it would be a collision of great minds. So thank you very much for coming. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having us, Robert. It's been lovely to see you. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. You have made it through another episode of The Human Element. Again, this is our mini-series on the virus. I want to thank Sean and Lucy again. They were both fantastic. Please remember you can find us anywhere you find your pods. Please give us a like. Please subscribe. We've seen great subscriber growth recently, so keep at it. All our new listeners, make sure that you do click that subscribe button, and we'll be back out to you real soon. In the meantime, please stay safe and hug everybody near to you. Bye-bye.